Welcome to We Sing the Bass Electric, a podcast for bass lovers and music enthusiasts of all genres. Join us as we revisit some of the most iconic recordings from different bassists, past and present, discussing behind-the-scene insight and stories that made up some of the most revered albums of our time, all from a bass player's point of view. Now here's your host, international recording artist, Mr. Christian Day Masonis, a.k.a. Big New York. In part one of our conversation with Joe Bouchard, we discussed his development as a working bassist. Blue Oyster Colts auditioned for Clive Davis, road stories opening up for Alice Cooper and Kiss, and his love for his alembic bass guitar. In part two, we pick up the conversation in September of 1978, when Phil Lynott and Thin Lizzy came to the rescue by lending Blue Oyster Cult their equipment. Here is the story. I have a very interesting question for you now. So in in that period of your life, do you happen to remember, did you always play through your rig on every gig? Especially Especially as a headliner, did you always play? And this uh, is a trick. Know, this is a trick question for you, Joe, because I'm going to get was, you on this. There was one. <laughs> there was one time our equipment truck didn't make the show. Yes, yes, that's so what I, I was going to talk to you about. I played Phil Linnett's bass. <laughs> and guess what, brother? I was in the audience. I was in the uh, front row in the balcony, and I will never forget that show. I actually went to see. It was a triple bill, if you remember. It was um, Dick Manitoba's Wild Kingdom. Yeah. Right. Um, which didn't show up. They didn't play that gig. And so Thin Lizzy had the burden of playing a longer set because of them. Because it, I don't think, we, I'm pretty sure if I remember, we did wait a little bit for them to come on. So I, one of the things in my memory bank from that gig, which is, I guess, the 77, is um, waiting a long time for Thin Lizzy to come on. And then when Thin Lizzy came on, Oh my God, they did yeah. like they did like an hour and a half show because you guys your, your equipment didn't make the show. Yeah, he asked them, "Is it all right if we use your equipment?" And they were like, "Yeah, use anything you want." And uh, we we never sounded better because first of all, there, there's a difference between like Marshalls that are American and Marshalls that are English. Yes, and they have a different power structure or something and of course you know uh phil's bass was a, a real bass you like, were playing that was, his, was, yeah his fender p with the mirror pick on i remember yeah. yeah yes a, a lot of pictures of me were taken at that gig and so you'll see that mirror pick guard yeah do you have any of those pictures no, I don't. Oh, but I've okay. seen them. I've seen them around. I'm okay. You know, I'm yeah. trying to collect all the pictures. When I left the band, I I didn't have like five pictures of myself. And now, through the magic of the internet, yes, all those old pictures and those old memories come back. You know, somebody's got them out there. Get the scanner. Warm up the scanner, guys. You, I know you've got those snapshots. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, to see them. I, I I get blown away every week. There's a new picture that I have never seen, and I'm like, wow, this is so cool. So now I have this great memory, as far as I can remember, because that was an iconic show for me. 
because I was just becoming a Thin Lizzy fan. And I got to see them. If I remember correctly, I think it was with the original lineup with with uh, Robo. It wasn't with Gary Moore because I think I saw Gary Moore the following year on the Black Rose tour mm -hmm. as a headliner. But um, I got to ask you a question because I don't remember. Back then, did you perform the Golden Age of Leather live yeah. on that tour? I think okay. we did. Okay, because I don't remember, and I'm, I love that, that song. That might have been a little earlier than, than Golden Age of Leather, but we did play that quite a bit. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, like I said, that was the Spectres tour that you were supporting. I mean, Ready to Rock, uh, you know, all those great songs. Yeah. You, you just made my day, by the way, that you remember <laughs> that. I wanted to, I mean, I was testing you to see if that would come in your memory banks, and that was really yeah. cool. All right, so... Um, Check this out. Now, your brother Albert collaborated on some of the greatest BOC songs, such as Astronomy from 1974's Secret Treaties. Mm -hmm. What was it like being in a band with your brother and also, so this is the A and B question, and also since you co-wrote that song, it, this must have been a very personal song for you. What's your opinion of Metallica's cover of this song. I love it. I love it. I think, uh, you know, James starts to sing and it's like, he's doing Eric. He's really doing Eric. Um, but you know, I, there's, there's so many moments in that, in that, in their version. Now I know there's a lot of magic in the blue oyster cult version and you know, you get, you get, you know, used to, uh, hearing the song one way but i thought they did a great job on that it you know some people take covers in a you know maybe a little off the beaten path and you kind of say oh they didn't do that one right no i think they did it right you know and i remember the excitement when i went to my post box and there was a cassette in there that said metallica on it <laughs> <laughs> and a little box, little one of those cassettes, and a little box. Plugged it into my uh, car uh, tape player, and I'm driving down the road, and I said, "Holy crap!" You know, I just wanted to jump up and down, but I was driving, so I couldn't. <laughs> but I loved it. I think you know, I think the cassette might even sound better than the album eventually sounded. Maybe they sent me in like an early mix of it or something. Wow. Because they wanted to get my okay. And then, you know, uh, we we met them at uh, Roseland. Uh, mm. They didn't play astronomy that night. I wish they had, but, mm. you know, they, they had a full set and it was fantastic. And then we got to meet them all after, and, and they were just happy that we liked the way they did it, you know. Mm. And, uh, you know, you do a whole album of cover tunes, you know, somebody's going to be unhappy. But yeah. we we were you know we were really uh, really uh, happy and it was a it was you know it was sort of the start of the renaissance of Blue Oyster Cult in the early nineties mm. because this came out in ninety seven in the early nineties it was not a great time for for Blue Oyster Cult music um, there was grunge there was hip hop there was all yeah. this other stuff going on. And and uh, Blue Oyster Cult were dinosaurs. 
Hey, if well, we were dinosaurs back then, what are we now? <laughs> well, you know, eventually the world catches on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it comes around in a circle. In 95, two years before they put out Astronomy, I went to a Metallica show, and um, my friend Andy gave got me tickets to see Metallica in Hartford. And uh, so I had really good seats too. And I had the pass that has says manager on it. <laughs> so it's like the really good pass. It's not just after show. It's like all access anytime, mm. you know. So I, I didn't go backstage until after the show. And it's late at night, you know. And it was during the middle of the week. And, you know, but there were 50 people in the catering room waiting for the band. And no band. So we're everybody's just twiddling their thumbs. Mm, when's the band going to come? You know, and they're all talking about how good the show was. It was an incredible show, just incredible. So I said, well, okay, I'm just going to walk down the hallway here and see if I can find out if they're coming. So I walked down the hall and I see this guy walking by. I said, that's Jason. Oh, so I go over to Jason. Hey, Jason, it's Joe Bouchard. I just want to tell you, I saw that was a great show. And he says, you're Joe Bouchard. And he starts shaking my hand. He wouldn't let me go. <laughs> you mean he didn't recognize you? Or you were like, what? No, no, I didn't, almost didn't recognize him because, you yeah. know, he was off stage and he was, you know, had toweled down and, you know. Yeah. And uh, so we're talking in the hallway. You know, meanwhile, 50 people are down in the catering room waiting. And I say, come on, let's go down to the catering room and I'll introduce you to the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so we go down to the catering room and we're, and Jason's the nicest guy. And he's like talking to everybody in the whole room and then shaking hands. And, and uh, you know, and I remember sitting down with some of my friends from the guitar workshop and. And Jason's saying, and that guy over there is a big influence on me. You know, it's like, wow, it's so cool. Because I never used to go backstage and hound bands, you know. It's yeah. just, I, they, I know what it's like. You don't want to be hounded after a show or, you know, things like that. But Jason was just so nice. Two years later, they cover the song that I co-wrote. So now I go backstage every time I can. Wow. <laughs> you never know. No, no. You never know, you know. So coming up to speed, we're getting closer now to, uh, I guess, to the years of you being a solo artist. But you had a side project with your brother called Blue Coop. Yeah. Right? And you play so guitar. Really you play guitar in that band. And that band includes another of rock's greatest bass players, Dennis Dunaway of Absolutely. the Alice Cooper band. Absolutely. Was it difficult to hand over the bass range to another no. great player? Well, even before I left, even before while well, I was still in Blue Oyster Cult, Dennis has always been a, a good friend of mine and Neil. And they had a band called Flying Tigers. I mm. actually produced a demo for Flying Tigers. I think I did some mixing. I don't know exactly what it was. Uh, Flying Tigers, you know, they were kind of kind of an 80s band, not really like Alice Cooper, which is kind of what Dennis was looking for. He didn't, he doesn't like to do the, the you know, all Alice 
things all the time. So, uh, but then they had a couple other, they had a couple other sort of uh, situations. They had a trio for a while and that didn't work out. But I would always be hanging out and, you know, checking out what they were doing, going to their studio. We jam a little bit. And then even before I left Blue Oyster Cult, I would go, I would come off a tour and I'd go right to Neil's house and we'd be jamming. We'd be doing Alice Cooper songs. We'd be doing Yardbirds covers. We'd be doing uh, original music, you know, songs that they wrote, songs that we like co-wrote together. So we had a little band called Bouchard, Dunaway, and Smith. And we put out a, Neil got a deal for a little record deal. We put out a record with uh, Charlie Hewn, who uh, uh, was a singer with uh, Ted Nugent. He's now the singer with, um, he was the singer with, uh, uh, took over for Dave Privet in, uh, in Foghat. So he's the singer in Foghat now. Great sure. singer and a lot of fun. We, so we made an album called Dead Ringer. And um, that, you know, they put out the album, nothing happened with that. So that, that kind of fizzled. And then uh, um, I started a band called the Cult Brothers. And we changed our name to the X Brothers because we didn't want to be uh, confused with uh, <laughs> the Blue Oyster Cult, yes. Cult Brothers. And also, my brother didn't want to do it. He had started the Brain Surgeons. Oh, I could go through names and names of bands and yeah. really confuse you. So he started the Brain <laughs> Surgeons, and I had the Cult Brothers and the X Brothers. And they were just sort of like club bands, you know, especially on my part was, you know, yeah. something just to have some laughs. But Albert had a breakup with the uh, brain surgeons. And mm -hmm. so, uh, and Neil didn't want to tour much. He doesn't like to play out much. So uh, when the brain surgeons fizzled and, and uh, I said, well, hey, you know, this would be good. But we did, uh, we did CBGB's. We did one of the last gigs at CBGB's be because it was a, uh, it was a, a benefit benefit to keep the doors open at CBGB's. So from that gig, Albert met some guy who has a club in the Poconos, in Pennsylvania, and uh, said, I, I want you and Dennis and your brother to come up and play my club. So we drive up to the Poconos, we play this club, we did four sets in one night. No rehearsal at all. But of course, I know Dennis, Albert knows me, we just have so many songs that we could play anyway. So we we uh, we had a great time up there, and that was the beginning of Blue Coop. We, you know, uh, Albert was available. Uh, Dennis wasn't playing with Neil, so and uh, I was ready to go and do it. And and we've had a great time with Blue Coop. We've done Europe, and uh, we did uh, Sweden last summer. Wow, a fantastic wow. show at the Sweden Rock Festival. Mm. And they would they would have us back any time. Uh, we were supposed to play Sweden again in March, but because of the pandemic, it was mm. a we were headlining on this cruise, but nobody's getting on a cruise ship. <laughs> not at, not at the moment. Not, not at, at the, the moment. moment. So no, eh, mm -mm. it's okay. We're you know we're we're sort of getting on. We're doing a lot of virtual stuff. We do. Uh, uh, we're do actually uh, Blue Coop is doing an animated video, fully animated, 
we got animators in England that are working on a new. Uh, it's going to be very uh, different for us to do an all animated uh, video. I'm and excited that'll about that. That'll be out in the spring. I'm and excited about Dennis that. Dennis wrote the song. It's called mm -hmm. uh, "Jumped the Gun," and you know. uh, and uh, so you know we're not touring, but we can still do a lot of stuff. You know, I'll, myself and my brother, we've done. Uh, various charity gigs, uh, you know, doing quarantine uh, performances. Him and his apartment, we mm. just put the tapes together, and uh, it's really good. You know, I mean, we're lucky. We're lucky because we're technically minded. We can, we can, we can do that kind of thing. I'm going to ask you two more questions. You dedicated your album, Playing History, to the memory of producer Sandy Perlman. You worked with some iconic rock producers over your 40 plus year career, and now you're producing your own albums. How did your past producers influence your current producing style? Oh, tremendously. Um, probably uh, Sandy, because he had such high expectations. You know, he uh, definitely had a lot of high expectations. But I also learned a lot from Tom Worman who did our Mirrors album. He was a very, uh, he had a very structured sort of sound and uh, he, he knew how to put together mu very musical recordings. Uh, probably the biggest influence was Martin Birch. Because Martin did, uh, you know, Cultosaurus Erectus and Fire of Unknown Origin, the single Burning For You, yeah. which which Great. is amazing single. Great. Uh, you know, he, he had done Deep Purple and he went on to do Iron Maiden, you know, known as the metal guy, but he let you be yourself. He really wanted you to be yourself and try to find what's best about you. So when he did Burning For You, he didn't try to make us sound like Black Sabbath, you know, or, you know, or White Snake. He made us sound like Blue Oyster Cult and it sounds really good, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, he was... And he was just a pretty mild-mannered guy, but he was really into the mixer. He, when he was recording, he would know like what was going to be happening three months later when he was sitting there with the mix. So that was that was uh, that was Martin. We loved Martin. I, I would have probably stayed with the band if we could have gotten Martin again, but he had already moved on to, you know, other projects and uh, unfortunately just passed away. And he was my age. 71 man but you, know, you, you just don't know right you don't you know you just don't know I, I, no. I every breath i take i i thank you thank you thank you thank you and uh and and, and then after uh, uh after uh, martin we had uh, bruce fairburn bruce it could have been a great record but it wasn't and unfortunately, you know, and it might not have been his fault. It might have been just the, the time. Albert, Albert wasn't playing drums. And so his, not so much his drumming input, but his certainly his, his arrangement style was very good for the Blue Oyster Cult sound. And mm. to not have that. And we would do our, you know, work our butts off trying to make the arrangements, you know, perfect or whatever. Uh, but there was just something about a little magic that Albert brings to uh, the thing. Maybe it's the way he plays the drums in the songs or, or whatever. 
and uh, and then we did another album after after uh, there did, did a couple of live albums in there. Mm. Some Enchanting Evening is a great album, uh, and then we did another album with Sandy. But uh, by that time, we were getting uh, other people to write our music, and I mm. felt like the the magic of Blue Oyster Cult was this writing team. Not only could, you know, we'd play the stuff the way we play, but also we had a sort of magical writing team with Sandy and Richard Meltzer, who wrote Burning For You lyrics, and Patti Smith, and Helen Wheels, and David Roeder. They were all part of this magical, you know, conglomeration that made up what Blue Oyster Cult was. So, uh, you know, and there's other people that were involved in that, but I just think that initial team, was what really made the early days of the band, and that's what people are still talking about today. You know? And you know, an interesting point uh, to be made is that I never really heard any kind of um, friction between the members. You would think that with so many individuals in that band, um, all creative people, all writers, you know, you would think that you guys would be like choking each other you know what I mean? I mean, well, uh, but we didn't hear, I never heard anything through the grapevine or there was nothing in magazines at that time letting us know that no, you guys hated each other or anything like that, you know? We're just pretty much, you know, my brother and I, we we're from a small town in upstate New York, grew up on a farm. We always had music around us, but, you know, we're always pretty, pretty easygoing. Yeah. Uh, Donald, same way, pretty easygoing guy. Uh, Eric same and Alan just fits in perfect there was no really uh, there was no really crazy personality it was we were pretty much regular guys I, it doesn't make for a good behind the music story so they yeah. had to make up the cowbell well yeah you know I, I didn't really want to bring that up to be honest with you but the funny thing about the whole Saturday Night Live skit was I thought that Horatio Sands played a great Joe Bouchard. Perfect. I mean, I, I, Did perfect. you notice that? You know, the, yeah. way, I, wait, the way I do my head like that and my yeah. hair flopping by, yep. side to side, that was perfect. Uh, he, that was perfect. Yeah, yes. I've, never, I've never talked to him, but when I do, I'm going to say, <laughs> did you watch the videos of me? And there, there might have been a couple out then. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, that 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 is special, you know, that. Horatio was me. Of course, I was never that fat. <laughs> no, no, but it was still a good choice, man. I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody was perfect. They I mean, screwed for up each all member. the names, but it wasn't supposed to be real. It was, yeah. it was supposed to be comedy, and and, be, and the and the conflict comes between the cowbell player and the guitar player, and then the and then the the the, the, the producer gets involved, and, and then it goes really crazy. <laughs> So lots of good laughs there. We're, we, we're not complaining about that at all. I know some people, you don't want to be a one joke kind of guy, but you know, yeah, it's, yeah. and everybody always treated that song as like so reverent. They're so reverent with that Reaper song. It's so spiritual and, you know, what is he talking about? And then it's, it's kind of science fiction. It's like, but they just brought it down to a level that everybody can have a good laugh about it. So, I mean, in my opinion, it's like right up there with uh, um, 
Some Which of the is great not, ones. Yeah. Some, I was going to say, Jer, what's Journey's biggest song, the most downloaded oh, uh, song? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Don't you know, Stop Believing. Don't Stop Believing. I think Don't Feel the Reaper is probably number two, man. I mean, it's it, it's got to it be up there. Incredible legs. It, 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 it just has, it's being, there's going to be a new Stephen King movie. A, a remake of The Stand, and guess what song yes. they're going to use? That's what I, at least the, the rumor I've heard, they never tell me anything. So. Well, I'm a big fan of uh, Stephen King. We're going to yeah. get to, uh, we're going to play a little game in a few minutes. So my last question to you. Now we are in the here and now, and we are about to talk your latest 2020 release, Strange legends and it has you collaborating with sci-fi writer john shirley mm -hmm. and drummer mickey curry of alice cooper and daryl hall john oates fame yeah uh, what bass did you use to record on strange legend that and do you have a favorite song from the album well i uh i i like african queen a lot that was a song that i wrote by myself and mm -hmm. i just saw the movie called the african queen from 1951 Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of those songs that was basically easy to write. Uh, the bass is the Music Man bass. Okay. I, I like using the Music Man bass because it's so reliable. I know what I'm going to get every time that I play. It just it mixes well. It's like a bass that just is the glue that puts everything together. You know, okay. um, I brought out the the, the original Precision. And I'm thinking I might record some things with that, but uh, that all the bass on Strange Legends is the Music Man bass. Okay. Um, it was very really, I I wrote I I wrote some really recorded some really good demos of the songs. I had Mickey Curry come over to my house, and we're sitting in this room, and he's listening to the stuff. Uh, this is good, you know. Let's you know let's go in the studio and. And I'll, I'll replace the drums with his performances. Mm. Now, he is just one of those natural guys. One of Albert's favorite drummers. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and Mickey loves Albert's playing. He just loves Albert's playing. And they're two, they, they have different styles. But what Albert likes about Mickey is his sense of space. He doesn't have to fill in every space. He just leaves it. It's a nice hit on the drum, nice hit on the drum there. Open, you know. So yeah. he plays all the drum parts, mm -hmm. and I bring the stuff back home, and I'm saying, gee, this, these drums sound amazing. I better fix up the bass parts. So I <laughs> redid the bass parts again using his give and take on the drums, and that's why you get such a great, you know, you know, I haven't had that feeling since I played with Albert years ago, uh, that where you get the, the rhythm section that just glues together like that. And that's that's part of a magical record. And then and I had to redo most everything else after that, too. Once I get the, you know, I kept some of the keyboard parts from the demos, maybe. But, uh, and then I mixed and mixed for months. I mixed for months. There's probably... 30, 40 different mixes on every song. And finally it came up like, this is the ultimate mix. And, and um, yeah, and I can't wait to start another album, another uh, solo album, you know. Do uh, you so like um, 
do you like using the software of uh, today's modern yeah. technology recording? Yeah. Uh, you're 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 not an analog, yeah, uh, analog kid. I, you know. I, I'd have to have I'd have to have you know, I'd have to have like McCartney kind of money <laughs> to, yeah. to use analog. Uh, no, the software just gets better and better and better, <laughs> and I can I can simulate um, analog like you wouldn't believe. But I, I, my, 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 I really end up with sort of a, a mixture. Sometimes I'll take and uh, put the what they they have a tape simulator. You put a tape simulator on it, and you've got it. You know, all right there. And the sound is there for that kind of thing. But I use sort of a, a mixed bag: a little bit of the analog, a little bit of the digital. You put it together, and if the balance is right. Uh, the space is right. I've been studying uh, recording, and I take a lot of uh, lessons on YouTube. And of course, one of the best mixers is Bob Clearmountain, who does Stones, and you know. And his thing is the way you set up the reverbs; it's got to give you that space. What, what space are you in when you're listening to? Is this Madison Square Garden? Is this a club? You know. Is this uh, is this a nice concert hall? Does it have that nice space like a concert hall, or is it just a hockey rink? You you got to determine that so that when the people listen to this thing, they know where it is and you know what what they're feeling and what the vibe is. You know, so I did a lot of that sort of technical experimentation before I finally got to the final mixes and the mastering engineer. Put the extra thirty-five percent of magic. How he does it, I don't know how he does it, but uh, Andy Van Det mastered it, and uh, I feel it's by far, by far. First of all, on most of my other records, except for the first one, which I used uh, the drummer from Skinner, uh, Michael Cardelloni, is awesome drummer. Uh, but I didn't really, I wasn't a good a producer back in the, when I did my first album. But I keep getting better and better. And the software would get better and better. And I started programming drums, but now I'm convinced that, you know, when you get somebody as magical as Mickey or Albert or, you know, and you have them replace the original drums, there's something about the connection of the hand and the, the hand and the feet. That connection, you can, you can program all day, you're not going to feel that connection between the hands and the feet and they do it in spades you know what do you use presonus or uh, pro tools i what, use what? Uh, logic. logic logic okay apple you know okay uh a lot of it is because the way they've structured logic uh, everything just sort of glues together really well i was using other software and i've experimented with different stuff but Logic just sort of has a something just all the samples just you know locked together, and that's what you want. You want a, a believable sound that really locks. Well, you yeah. know, when I, I first heard the album, the first song I heard was Bottom for the Bottomless, which I love. That's my favorite song on the album, by the way. It, it made me feel like I was listening, listening to a time. I guess like um, Love It to Death meets um, 
secret treaties. I don't know what I, I don't know how to describe it, but I immediately felt a connection. Um, and I also listened um, to um, playing history, which I love every song on that yeah, album. It's just a, a good strong, too. strong album. Well, guess what? We are at the point of the show where I'm going to play a little game with you, Joe. Okay. And um, the game, I'm up for games. you're up for it. Okay. Sure. Uh, the game is called the world according to Joe Bouchard. And I want you to choose either from column A or column B. <laughs> I want you to choose. We're not really giving a description. What is your fave? What do you prefer? Okay. Okay. So my first one is Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. Oh, Twilight Zone. I love Rod oh. Serling. I love Rod Serling too. I really do. So, but I'm a big Outer Limits fan. Also, I I've, yeah. I've, I've, I grew I, up I, with with I that. Watched a lot of those too. The, yeah, the Reaper Bridge is based on well was inspired by Outer Limits theme. Do 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 You know, ting 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 ting. Yeah, that was Donald doing his Outer Limits. Wow, very cool. Okay, Godzilla or Nosferatu. Oh, that's a tough one. I'd go with Godzilla. You got to love Godzilla. Nosferatu, it's kind of an acquired taste. Godzilla. Hot Rails to Hell or Morning Final? That's tough, too. Uh, I'd go with Hot Rails to Hell because okay. uh, that one I perform more than any other song uh, of mine on, in Blue Oyster Cult. And they still play it now with Richie mm. singing it. Does a great job. Um. Yeah, Hot Rails. Okay. Can't one of those quick songs came together in a flash. Um, the guys, you know, did a tremendous uh, performance on that song. I don't know if it sounds that great on Tyranny, but it certainly uh, has held up over time. It's great in the live album, the first live album. I love it. I remember that song in your set list. New Year's Eve, nineteen seventy-five. It stuck in my mind. Yep. That one in Cities on Flame stuck in my mind. Yep, I was like, sure. wow. First time I'm hearing it, you know? Yeah. Okay. How about this? Edgar Allan Poe or HP Lovecraft? I don't know that much about Lovecraft. Um, 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 but I do love Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar okay. Allan Poe. Okay. I could have said Pit in the Pendulum or the Dunwich Horror, which you probably would have, you would have recognized. I would have been more confused. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, this is a personal one. Homemade Italian food or Chinese takeout? Oh, homemade Italian food. Okay. Hands Ooh. down, huh? Yeah, <laughs> got to have the sauce. Hands gotta down. Got to have the right sauce. Okay. Uh, Stephen King's The Shining or Stephen King's The Stand? Ooh, that's... Uh, I think it's a tie. That's a tie. I mean, it's I a tough one. That's a tie. There's there's no question The Shining is just... Ah! But The Stand is pretty... Ah! <laughs> uh, yeah, I wish I, they would release that in, in Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, I have it on DVD, but it would be great if they... Uh, they put it out on Blu-ray. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Now, I know you're a big Helen Wheels fan. I remember her. I'm from New York. I'm from Brooklyn, so I remember yeah. her. Um, Celestial the Queen or Falling Angel? Ooh. I think Falling Fallen Angel. Fallen Angel. Uh, I would, I would, that one was, that, I did that with Martin Birch and that was kind of miraculous. It, okay. it wasn't going to be on the album. It was a last minute thing. Um, I had this music and Helen sent me the lyric, lyrics that mm. she, she wanted to replace the, wow. did I have, I don't even know. I think I just had a musical thing and I played it for her and she came up with the Fallen Angel and, and then, uh, I was singing it in the low range, and Martin said, sing it the way you sang the last line. Just do the whole song like that. And I said, you're crazy. I'll never be able to do that. Just don't worry. I'll make it happen. So Martin really encouraged me to, like I said, there's a situation where he finds what you're good at. Do that again, you know, and again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> like deep purple <laughs> i like that riff to smoke on the water just do it again do it again <laughs> wow i would have went for celestial but that's because i loved every single song I, on specters I, 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 I get a lot of emails now how they love celestial the queen and i mm -hmm. may you know i kind of am a little disappointed in the mix mm -hmm. um but uh I have to revisit that song. I have to revisit. I must say it's it's uh, not as uh, as uh, as personal to me as 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 Fallen Angel, which is very personal to me. Which you redid on the tribute album. To I've her, done it. So. Yeah, I've done it in yeah. different places. I did it in France. We, here we're walking out to the stage at a festival in France. This is Blue Coop. We've I played it with Dennis. Albert knows the song, but we we didn't rehearse it at all. We're walking to the stage, and the promoter's wife says, "Hey, can you play that song, Fallen Angel?" And it was the promoter's wife. Of course, she can play it. <laughs> so we went out there, not knowing what we were doing, and we just slammed it. It was just like it was. It was one of the most incredible performances. Maybe because we didn't rehearse it. Maybe we had no idea what we were doing. We made it up on the spot. So anyway, that's that's, that's it's magical. It's on you. That's magical. Yeah, I found it. I, yeah, I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, that's a great one. Okay, this is my last one, my friend. We've spent quite some time. I appreciate all of your stories. Um, of course, your influence on me personally. I appreciate these gifts that you sent me oh. and uh, I'm going to give one away to a, a listener. Lucky, lucky yes. Listener. So I appreciate it. So my last one now, and this, this one is going to be very, very particular to our audience. So let's see what you're going to answer, what you're, what you're going to say. Okay. Fender precision or Fender Stratocaster. Ooh, uh, it's pretty close there. It's pretty close. I got to go with the Strat. The Strat Boo! is... <laughs> Boo! Go. This is a bass podcast, Joe! <laughs> I, I just love Strats. Oh. I, love, I mean, Precision is, is, is the bass that's on the hits, you know? 
and uh, the Reaper bass is, you know, precision. All right, well, let, what, me, let me let me start that over again. Okay, you want to rephrase that. Let me start this over again. Fender Precision or Alembic? I'll go with the Fender Precision. Just just because. You broke my heart twice. <laughs> I can't win at this game. <laughs> no, you did really good. You did excellent. I knew, first of all, once I put a strat up against the Precision, since you're really a guitar player at heart, you know, I knew you were going to go I, for the Strat. Was, when I was in high school, I had a 1964 Strat. It was the best guitar. It was the best. It was really, I, I love that, that, the sound of that guitar. And stupidly, I traded it when I got to college because it wasn't a serious guitar. You know what those 64 Strats are going for now? Like 40 grand. Yeah, you know, like, but that's not the thing. It's like... I, I learned my lesson. If you have a good guitar and it sounds good, don't ever sell it, you know. You know. Yeah, it took me uh, I'm heartbroken still to this yeah. day because I had a 70 uh 76 Fender Precision. Great year. Maple, yeah, Maple Neck, um rosewood fingerboard, sunburst. Um and I, I bought it on 48th Street, mm. but my favorite bass, which I never should have traded, was my 77, I believe, 77 or 76 Gibson LS9 Fretless Ripper. Wow. Yes. And back then, I used to string them with the Rotosound black-coated mm. um, yeah. uh, strings. Yep. Remember yep. those? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, but you know what? I don't think I would be a slapped funk bass player if I didn't do that because yeah. I couldn't really slap on either one of those basses. I was yeah, not yeah, a really yeah, good yeah. slap guy, yeah. you know? Yeah, you but know, so. Warwick or, you know. Yeah, you know. So, listen. I've never slapped on the, on the Lembic, but. Uh, oh, you got you to gotta try that. Good. You got to yeah, try I mean, that. So, it's time to say goodbye, my friend. I had a great, a great, great time. Thank you for spending your Wednesday evening, and uh, you made a, uh, you made this fanboy, you made his dreams come true. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not gonna lie, man. I knew you were a guitar player at heart, so I'm like thinking to myself, <laughs> is Joe gonna be a good guest on this <laughs> bass podcast? But well, you know. Hey. I'm lately. I've been into trumpet. You can see my trumpets back there, and I yes. did uh, solos on Albert's new album. That's in the, in the in, on the charts and Billboard now. And somebody was saying it's because of Joe's trumpet parts. <laughs> that's hilarious, but that's good. Yeah. You know what? Well, yeah, I, it's I just, good. I, I I you know I I have this frustration because I played trumpet in high school, but I was, was the worst guy, and I. And I wanted to study brass instruments in college, but my teacher said, no, you, you're not, you, you, you know, think of something else. So I ended up being a piano major. But mm. now I'm going back to the brass and I love it. I love it. it, it it's so, so demanding. It's so demanding. So hard to play. Really hard to play. But 
you know, I, I'll put on Miles Davis. I'll put it down at half speed, play along with Miles. I played along with, uh, you know, Louis Armstrong, mm -hmm. all the jazz, jazz from the 50s and 60s. I really love. And I've been doing a lot of that just, just for pleasure, you know. Yeah, well, you know, that's what music is all about, man. Hey, we got to say goodbye. Thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us tonight. And I really appreciate it. Take Great care, brother. You. Thank you so much, Let's man. Do it again. If you enjoyed this educational music program, please subscribe to We Sing the Bass Electric on your favorite podcast platform. We would love your feedback. Email us at we sing the bass electric at gmail.com. For bonus material and a chance to win merchandise such as autographed CDs and more, subscribe to our YouTube channel and join our mailing list at we sing the bass electric.com. As always, thank you for your support. And please buy music from these spotlighted artists, it makes a difference.